We are in week four, week four of a four-week series entitled Uncertain. This is part four. This is the conclusion. Not next week because it's Labor Day week, uh, Memorial Day weekend, but the next Sunday, I'm going to be speaking about life and death. We're going to go into a four-week series dealing with life and dealing with death. We're going to talk all about that. So if you're interested in hearing that, inviting family and friends, you're welcome to do that. Um, if you're at all new to our series here today, we are discussing four different versions of God that does not exist. That does not exist because they are fabrications people want to believe about God that are just simply not true. They're not true. What I've been talking about is the reality that so many people are really rejecting God, but my argument has been throughout this series is that they're not actually rejecting the God that you find in the Bible, the God who, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but what they are rejecting is a distorted view of who they think God is, the distorted view of who they think that God is, and it's a wrong view. Let me tell you the three weeks we've already done. Week number one, we talked about, we talked about the on-demand God. There are those of us who believe that God should give us everything we want whenever we want it. That God doesn't exist anywhere, anywhere. Second week we talked about, we talked about our killjoy God, our killjoy God. And that's the one who robs us of all of our fun, who makes life boring and with too many rules. That's not our God either, just so you know. The third week we talked about is we talked about our goosebump, goosebump God, which we talked about last Sunday. And the goosebump God meant I want to feel God, and if I don't feel God, then he must not be real. Well, he's no goosebump God. That's, not, that's it. You can go, by the way, to the website, and you can go through all of these messages if you would like to go to that, wordoflifeag.org. That would be good. Today, today I want to talk about the most commonly em, embraced distortion, distorted view of God that's on the planet, and that is he's a heartless God. He is a heartless God. Many people believe that our God is a heartless God. So today, I probably will act a little bit more serious than I normally do because this to me is one of the biggest and most important uh, issues that people deal with, that people will deal with. It's the, it's the biggest hurdle that keeps people from fully believing in God. So let me begin by sharing with you a story to ex sort of have you get a hint as to where I'm going with all of this. Um, many years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I don't remember how long, but many years ago, I received a phone call and I was asked to go visit a man that is just hours away from entering into eternity. I was told that this man has a hard heart, he's an angry old man, and he does not believe in God. He just does not believe in God. Now, I never met this man before. I can't even tell you today who he was. I can't tell you who called me on that phone, phone call to, to have me go see him, but anyhow, um, uh, when, when I got there, uh, I could tell immediately that this man has a hard heart, and uh, he's an angry, angry man. Never met him before, and, and, um, and he was conscious when I got to the hospital to be with him. When I walked in there, he was conscious, and I was able to communicate with him, but let me tell you the truth. He could care less that I was there. He had nothing to say to me. He didn't want to talk to me at all. He didn't want anything to do with me, and... Uh, but obviously the Lord wouldn't let me leave. I, I, you could get mad at that, be offended with that, and just walk away. But thank God, I, I probably have done that before. Don't tell anybody that I told you that, but the fact of the matter is uh, that does happen. And uh, I'm gonna call his name Bill. Uh, it's not the right name, but I'm gonna call his name Bill. And I walked into the room, and, uh, and of course he was not happy to see me. He could care less that I was there. And I said, um, got down close to him. I've tried talking to him. I tried to open up some things. Give me, give me a little bit of inf information. Nothing, nothing at all. So I got down close to him and I said this to him. I said, man, I want you to know that you're not going to make it, Bill. 
The doctors have done everything they can possibly do, and you're going to die soon. There's nothing more they can do. And I can sense that you're really angry, and I know you're angry with, with God, and I don't understand what it is. Something has happened in your past that you're just so angry with God. I, I'm, I'm guessing that whatever happened has caused you now to not even believe in God anymore. Bill, what happened? What happened that has caused you to be so angry with God? I mean, you could see it, you could feel it, you knew it was real. And all of a sudden as he's laying there, I mean, I've been priming the pump, I've been trying to get him to respond to me. And immediately he starts to have tears flowing down his cheeks. Tears are starting to flow. He's not saying a single word. These are minutes. You know, I'm waiting for him to say something for minutes. He's saying nothing, he's weeping. And finally he said this, my only son, my only son drowned at seven years old. My only son. When he said those words, I just fell apart. I mean, I, he's, tears are flowing. He's weeping. I'm weeping. I grabbed his hand and, and I just wanted to help him the best that I could. So I started off by simply saying that's the worst thing a father, a mother could ever go through in this life is to lose a son, is to lose a daughter. Of course, at that time, I hadn't lost a son. But, but it's the worst thing a mother or father could go through. And I said this to him, I says, Bill, he says, I said to him, I, I wanna tell you just two things and then I'm gonna get out of here and I won't be bugging you anymore. Two things I wanna tell you. Number one, I wanna tell you, your son is in heaven. Your son is in heaven. He is safe, he is secure, and he is in heaven. And he's living in the fullness of life, being in heaven forever. He's safe, Bill, he's safe. And the second thing I wanna tell you is that I am 100% confident that your son wants you to be with him in heaven. I'm really confident of that. He wants you to be with him forever in heaven. But Bill, only you can make that decision. I can't make it for you. Even God himself can't make that for you. Only you can make that decision. Make that happen, Bill, by believing in Jesus and that you would ask him to become the Lord and leader of your life. You know, the little thing that I would say to him. And Bill just kept on weeping and kept on weeping. And then finally, I said to him, can we pray? And thank God, thank God, he prayed that sinner's prayer with me together. And after about 40 long years of never seeing his son, the next day, he saw his son again as he went to heaven because he gave his life to Jesus. It's a story like that. It's a story like that that I'm talking about. Come on, let's give the Lord a round of applause. It's a good story. With everything going on in this world, people have to be saying, he must be a heartless God. He just must be a heartless God. And the fact of the matter is, he is not. People would say, God, where are you? How could you let this happen? Pastor, how could you expect me to pray when, when I pray he doesn't answer any of my prayers? I've never heard him answer my prayer. He's never done anything I've asked him to do. How can you expect me to believe in them? Chances are really high, really high, whether you're a believer here today or an unbeliever. Chances are high that many of you have had your own moments with God, that you too have thought, God, where are you? 
Are you a heartless God? Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you understand what's, what's happening in my life? Maybe even there are some of you who are here right now today, and you're in that moment right now. You're in that moment as we're sitting here. And you'd want to say to me, Pastor, I'm praying and I'm trying to believe. I've tried for these last six months and nothing, nothing. Where's God? How can I believe in a God if he doesn't seem to care? He must be a heartless God. He must be. Those thoughts can invade a mind simply by watching the news on a regular basis. If you watch the news, you'll see again the terrorist attack, the innocent people that are killed who are dead, who are gone. Maybe you'll hear on the news another ridiculously senseless racist shooting. How can people, how can someone kill another person for such craziness? How could that kind of stuff happen in our world, in our society, if he's a good God? Natural disasters, hundreds of young and old people alike lose their lives every year here in the United States as a result of natural disasters. In fact, in fact, I even think that probably in this room, probably in this room, there may be two or three people who have been, been abused in a very horrible, horrifying way. And probably you have asked God a hundred times, why? Why does he continue to do that to me? Why does she continue to do that to me? Why are these things even happening to me. Or it could be something like, <clears throat> you just get no breaks. There's no breaks that come your way. You don't get any break financially. You don't get any break relationally. You never get a, seem to get a, a good pay raise that's going to mean something that's going to be substantial. You never have gotten the promotion that you were promised that you were going to get. Nothing has happened to you. And if it's not money, if it's not that kind of thing, maybe it's a relationship. The girl of my dreams, she was the one pastor. She was the one. And she's walked away. She said she doesn't want to marry me now. I'm turned upside down. I don't know what to do with all of this. What do I do with this? You see, a lot of us are there. God, where are you? Are you a good God? Are you a good God? I want to believe, but you seem to be heartless. Now listen, my friend, if you've ever had those thoughts, if you ever felt like that about God, I want to believe in you, but you seem to be heartless. I want to talk to you about the fact that you're not the only one who feels that. You're not the only one that deals with those kind of thoughts. We all do. In fact, let me give you just one guy in the Bible. His name is Job. Don't say Job. It's Job. Job. Job is, is, is a, a, a guy. If you were to read the 42 chapters of the book of Job, I'm telling you, man, it's going to mess with your mind. It messes with my mind. I know I'm a simple guy, so maybe that's why. But it's, it's a pretty tough read when you read about that because Job really is a very righteous guy. He's a really, really good guy. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, and guess who it is? Slewfoot. It is the enemy. It is the devil. And he says to God, he says that, yeah, he may be a good guy now, but if you took anything away from him, he would curse you. Let me, let me be at him. And with some restrictions, blows my mind, and with some restrictions, God allowed that to happen to Job. One thing after another happened to this man. One thing after another. The devil would take his livestock. The, the devil would take away his career, his health, even his children. He lost all of his children in all of this. Job got these boils, these horrible boils that were all over his body. The friends that Job had that would try to encourage him were nothing but jerks. Nothing but jerks. And get this, his own wife. His own wife, after a few chapters of all the suffering and all the things that were going on, most of you know this, but she would say something like this, well, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Boy, am I glad I don't have a wife like that. <laughs> I got the best that there is, but I'm glad I don't have 
a wife like that. If you ever have, if you have ever been at that place where you just wanted to believe, but it didn't seem like God cared, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. I'm not the only one that's gone through that. We have all gone through that. And I want to make two promises with this message today as I get through this. Number one, number one, I will not be able to answer all the questions that you have about this. All the questions that you have about your problems, all the questions you have about your needs, the losses that you've dealt with in life. I can't answer those questions. I don't understand it. I'm not even going to try it. The second thing I will tell you, though, is this. But at the end of this message today, I'm going to point you to the one who can and will one day, he will tell you all that you need to do. He will do just that because I believe he will make all things new. Do you agree with me on that? Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5. All this will be projected behind me if you don't have a computer or whatever. And it says these words, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is in the end. This is what God promises us when we get to heaven. He's going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. There shall be no more death or sorrow or crying, nor shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, right, for these words are true, and they are faithful, is what God's word declares to us today. Come on, amen. So what I want to do with you today is I want to show you very quickly three big thoughts, three big thoughts for when things to embrace, truths to remember, when God seems to be doing something with you that's not fair, that you're thinking that, that he is a heartless God. Three things I want you to understand. Number one is God always has a purpose in your pain. God always has a purpose in your pain is what we believe. We believe here at Word of Life that God has a purpose and God is always good. God has a purpose and God is always good. Say it back with me. God has a purpose and God is always good. Go with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29. I'll go to verse for Word of Life Church. Uh, the prophet says through the Word of God, he says, for I know the thoughts that I think to you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope that you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Then you will seek me and find me when you search for me with, with all of your heart. He says in verse four, I will be found by you is what God says to us. He promises, he promises us that he's going to do it. Listen, when, when, when you're hurting, God is still working. When you've got pain on the inside of you because of your circumstance and situation, God is doing a work in all of that. Believe it or not, and I have to say it like this, like it or not, because this is the way that God works. I don't know what it is that you might be going through right now. I don't know what it is that, that you are longing for, for God to change, but God has a purpose in the pain that you're going through. So maybe, just maybe, maybe someone that you love has, that, that you love has, uh, has let you down. Maybe they've said or done something to you that, to let you down. Maybe, maybe your marriage, maybe your marriage that was finally ended by the courts, it's over. The gavel came down. You're no longer married. That happened two months ago for you. And today you're still hurting because of that, because this isn't what you wanted. This wasn't the plan. God, where were you in all of that? Maybe a loved one that you have is now under hospice care. That's a difficult one. That's a really hard one. Or, or maybe someone lied to you or gossiped about you. It could be a number of different things that could happen. But listen to me. Whenever you're hurting, whatever, the, the, whatever level it is at, however personal it may feel, remember that God, God has a purpose. God has a purpose. He's using the difficult times to do something in you for good. I'm going to skip the next verses that I was going to read to our tech people here, and I'm going to continue on because I want to get through this to the end. 
and I haven't got much time, and uh, God has a purpose. God is, is doing something. He has a plan for your one and only life. God is in the, the middle of it all right now with you and for you, even though you don't understand it. God is using all of this. The issues that you're going through, your challenge, God is using all of this for your good. He's doing this to strengthen you and I. His purpose for your life is going to come to pass. Give me an amen. Come on, give me an amen. So when you endure, when you endure hardships, when you endure great pain, when you, when you remain, when you remain, and when you run towards God, and not from God, but when you run toward God, your spiritual roots go deeper. So some of us, you have every right to run out the door right now because of how frustrated you may be. But because you're not, and because you're sitting here in the presence of God, you're among other believers who love you and care for you and would pray for you if we knew what was going on. You stand here, and the Bible gives us the hint and lets us know that we are, we, our, our spiritual roots, roots go deeper when that happens. God doesn't cause the pain every single time, but God can use the pain every single time, and he has a purpose in the pain is what the scriptures are telling us. He has a purpose in, in that pain. So we find here, but God will, will use pain every single time uh, because he has a purpose in that pain. He's going to use the pain that we have to take us further, deeper into our walk with him. One of my favorite go-to guys in leadership is a guy by the name of John Maxwell. Probably you've heard of him. He is a great, great leader, and uh, he's one of my go-to guys. And I went and got a couple of quotes with him because I want to talk to you about purpose just for a moment. There's a purpose behind the, the pain that we have. So uh, Maxwell says these words. He says, God, God has created every person for a purpose, is what Maxwell says. And he quotes somebody. And the person that he's quoting is a psychologist by the name of Victor, Victor um, uh, Frankel. Victor Frankel. And here's what Victor says. He says, I believe that God created every person for a purpose. John quoted that about him. I believe every person uh, uh, for, I believe God, I believe that God has created every person for a purpose. Everyone has his own specific vocation or mission in life. Every one of us, every one of us, uh, every, everyone uh, must carry out a concrete assignment that demands fulfillment. Therein, he cannot be replaced, nor can his life be repeated. Thus, uh, thus everyone's task is a, a unique, excuse me, I'm sorry. Everyone's task is as unique as his specific opportunity to implement that. So let me say that again. Uh, thus, everyone's task is as unique as his specific opportunity to implement that. In other words, each and every one of us have a purpose as to why we were created by God. And it is our responsibility, it is your responsibility, it is my responsibility to be able to identify that. There's a reason why you're here. And you need to know that reason why you are here. You need to know that. You need to understand that. I have another quote, but I'm going to go past that as well because I want to keep going. I want to chip away this puppy. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. Proverbs 19, 21, and it says these words. It says, my plans, this is what God says, my, uh, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. It is the Lord's purpose that prevails. In, in the book of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what desire and achieve the purpose. God is looking to help you to find your purpose, help you to understand that you're in the midst of your purpose right now. God is allowing these things to happen so that your purpose will be 
be, be on a foundation that would take you to the place where God wants you to go and what God wants you to be as far as your purpose for which I have sent it is what, is what he says in his word. There is a specific purpose and a reason why you are here in this day in this place, and God wants you to fulfill it. The second point I want to give you today is this. Point number one is that God is always, God always has a purpose in your pain. Number two, God is always present in your pain. He is always present in your pain. In Psalm chapter uh, 46, verse one, he says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, an ever-present help in trouble. God is ever-present. Do you know what that means? <laughs> it means that he is with you. He is with you. He is with you. Do you know what it means? He is with you is what his word says. He is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He knows what you're going through. He'll get you through it to the other side. He promises he will. So often we want God to just give us what we want. Just get me through this so I can go do what I want to do. But here's what God says. God would say to you something like this. But the fact is, is that I want, I want to show us, I want to show you that I'm all that you need. He is all that you and I need. That's what God wants us to understand. God wants to show us that he is all that you and I would ever need. Even when we sometimes get mad about this and we want God to do whatever he, we want him to do, and all the while, all the while we're complaining and saying to God, why aren't you doing something? Just let me get through this. God is saying to you and I, but I'm there for even your toughest times, your darkest hours. I am the source of what you need to get through to the other side. I am the source. If you agree with me on that, give me an amen. God is our source. To me, there's no better of an example of all of this that I'm saying right now than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, let me just share this story real quick with you. If you don't know a lot about the, the Apostle Paul, before he came to know Christ, he hated Christians. He killed Christians. He had Christians to become martyred because he hated them so much until there was a time that he met the resurrected Jesus. Jesus had risen from the dead. It's down the road from his resurrection, and it would be, the, uh, it would be Paul who would have a personal encounter with Jesus himself. And from that personal encounter, uh, Paul was radically transformed, radically transformed. And we talked about those aha moments last Sunday, if you remember, the epiphany or that special moment when you meet God and man, oh man, it changes your life forever, whatever those things are. And Paul did more for the gospel than anybody since Jesus. In fact, he started many churches and he wrote a big portion of the New Testament itself and he was used by God in great ways. Paul loved God, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul tells us that he has a thorn. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says he, says he has a thorn. He has a thorn. Now, we don't really know what the thorn is. We don't really understand it. It doesn't go into any detail, but this much we do know about the thorn. The thorn was massively painful, and the thorn was massively destructive in his life. It was something that was taking him down rather than moving him forward. So Paul, Paul pleads with God three different times. He pleaded with God. Take away the pain, take away the pain, take away this, this thorn, whatever it, was, whatever it was, three different times. Let me ask you a personal question. Raise your hands if this is you. Have you ever pleaded, pleaded with God for whatever need you have? Anybody besides me? Okay, good, good. When you plead, I'm telling you there's something that's really, really deep there. And you can always, always expect that God is going to answer you. When you really plead, and I'm going to prove it to you at the very end. In, in Paul's season of pleading to God, seeking after God, 
And all of us know that if God is going to heal anybody, it's going to be Paul. You know, because Paul, man, he's now a reformed, changed man. His whole life has been changed. And he's going to miraculously just touch Paul. We know he's going to do it, but let me tell you the story anyhow. You see, Paul also suffered. He was beaten and he was left for dead. Paul was also shipwrecked, shipwrecked for Jesus. And he was bitten by a snake, the Bible tells us. He was whipped so many times on his back. His scars so bad, it was beyond measure, the Bible tells us about the scars that he had. And also, he got stoned. He got stoned. Now, not the weed, but he got stoned like by the rocks. He, Paul got stoned uh, a few times. But three times he cries out to God and he says, heal me. God, heal me. God, heal me. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me is what Paul says. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your and my weaknesses. God's power is made perfect in all of that. God, heal me. God, change my circumstances. God, fix my problems. Turn it all around for me. Would you please, God? But God turned to Paul and he said, no. No, my grace is enough for you. I am all that you need. I am all that you need. Guess what? God is all that you need too. And I know some of you are facing hell. Some of you are facing unbelievable circumstances and situations. But we need God in the midst of that as well. We need God. God said to him, no, my grace is sufficient. I am all that you need. This is something that you cannot explain, but it is something that you can experience. This thing that, of knowing that God's grace is all that we need. You can't, can't explain it to you. I can't give you the formula behind it. I can't tell you how it comes together. But he says, no, my grace is all that you need. This is something that you cannot explain. It's something that you can only experience. It's something that you can never, ever tell someone else. This is how God helped me in my darkest hours because you can't put it into words. You can't, you can't really say how God got you through with his grace. There, there's no words to all of it. But it is a truth. He gets you to the other side. This is something that you cannot explain. It is something that you can only experience. So when people, I've been through that. Believe me. Marianne and I have been through that. And we deal with it daily still. But he got us through. He's gotten us through to the other side. And he can do the same for you. He can do the same for me. It's something that you can never, ever really tell someone else how to say or how to do it. But his grace is sufficient. So you've been there. You've experienced his presence, his presence, and it's real to you, and it's God. That is his grace. His grace is sufficient. In the midst of your darkest hours, you feel him. That's coming from God. There's something that, that's there. When God's carried you, when you couldn't possibly make it on your own, his grace was sufficient for you. When God lifted you up through all of your doubts that you were dealing with in that moment, that's God's grace coming upon you, that's his grace being sufficient for you. When God sustains you, when you are in deep, deep physical pain, deep physical pain. I was with a precious woman last night in deep, deep physical pain and emotional pain because of the loss of her husband. 
His grace is sufficient for you. When God comforted you, when, when, you uh, when you just wanted to give up, you just wanted to give up and die is what you wanted to do. But all of a sudden now you've got this resurgence, you've got this thought. Now wait a minute, I can't do that. I'm not gonna do it. That's his grace for you. When God met you with, in, in uh, such a personal way in the greatest struggles of your life, that's it right there. It's, it's right there. It's God's grace being sufficient for you. It's, it's God's grace for you, God's grace for me, that you and I can only begin to understand. It's in those moments that I'm experiencing this grace. I'm experiencing what he's telling me about. When Paul got to that grace enough kind of thought process in his mind, Paul went to the next level completely. Go with me again to verses two, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses nine and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight, listen to Paul, he says, I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, he's strong. He's getting the greatest glory. He's getting the greatest honor. When I am weak, he's strong. Paul got it. His grace is enough. My last and final point. I'm going to be really quick. I was thinking about the closing and who am I gonna talk to about this because I know in this room are believers and non-believers alike, people who believe in the Bible and people who don't believe in the Bible. So when you talk about something like this, you know, you think he's nothing but a heartless God. And when you think he's nothing but a heartless God, then you start asking questions, is he God fair? Because he's not fair, not fair to me. So you sit back and you start asking questions and is God fair? And I wanna answer that question for you right now before I close. That answer that question. I'm going to give you the answer right now. Is God fair? God is not fair. Hmm. I'm going to have to tweet that. Pastor Randy said God's not fair. I'm going to tell. Absolutely, positively, the God of heaven, the Ancient of Days, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're not fair. I'm telling you, they're not fair. They're not fair. God is just. Oh yeah, he's just, but God is not always fair. Listen to me, please. I'm gonna convince you with this next statement. If God was always fair, then he would give us what our sin deserves. Listen, 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 listen. I don't know your sins, but I know my sins. And I don't deserve a single thing from God. I do not deserve a single thing from God. And if God was always fair, then he would give me what I really deserve for my sinful life. And you too. If God was always fair, he would give us what we deserve. But because he is just, he sent his only begotten son to pay the price for your sin. Come on, let's give the Lord a round of applause. Give the Lord a round of applause. Come on out, guys. I'm not gonna do that scripture found in, in uh, Psalm 103. I want to get to my end, to the end of the story. I know that you're going to be facing things, and I know you're going to be thinking things. When things start happening, you're going to start blaming God. God, why would you allow this to happen to me? We all do that for some moments or so and, and all of that. But can I, can I ask you to do an exercise as I go to this last point? And that is, instead of you first and only complaining about you not getting what you wanted, and you're mean to me, and heartless God... I challenge you today, 
instead of thinking of yourself first, what if you were to think of God first? What if you were to think of uh, his perspective of what it is that you're going through? And maybe some of the reasons behind you, why you're going through all of that. What, what if you were to uh, consider the perspective of your father who loves you? who loves you. I love my kids. I love my church. I love a lot of people. This, our God, he loves you. And he has a purpose for your life who is, who is uh, uh, also there with you when you're hurting, whatever your issues and challenges would be. Last and final point, number three, is God's love. God's love for you is reckless. God's love for you is reckless because God loves you, man. He really does. He really does. And I'm assuming that there would be a couple that would be in the room that would sit back and say, well, this is love. I think it's a rather distorted view of, of love. And I'm here to tell you that, you know, the Bible, and I, I get that, man. I, I, I understand why you're thinking that thought. But the Bible tells us that after all the supernatural giftings are passed out, all the prophecies have been declared and all of knowledge has come to us and all, we fathom all mysteries and have all wisdom and we have faith and we can move mountains with our faith. We give all of our money to the poor, you know, and to, to God. And, and, but when it comes to God, all of that stuff is cool and God makes it available for us to live in. But the bottom line with God is that he says, after all that stuff, the greatest of everything, the greatest of these is love. It is love. It really is love. The greatest of all of these things is love, the greatest is love. And I'm talking about God's love. Because even in your darkest hours, God will and does show up big time to help us through this. <laughs> so much I wanted to share with you and we ran out of time. I'll just share with you one story very quick and I shared this shortly after my son died. When Jeremy died, died on September 4th, 2016, the doc came to Marianne and I and to Jeremy's wife, Anne-Marie, and uh, said we think we need to stop all ways of trying to revive him. Are you okay with that? Oh yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to tell the doctor, let him die. But he did. We did, we did what we were supposed to do and he died. So it ended up that I was in here, got home at about 5.30 in the morning on that September 4th day. Marianne and I just cried and held each other and it was horrible. I ended up over here at church. And I know I shared this story before, but as I was here in church, I'm gonna walk away so the camera's not gonna get me, I don't care. But um, as I was here, I'm not able to say any words because all I am doing is crying hysterically. I can't say any words, I don't know what to say. I mean, my son's gone. And when I got right about here, at about this spot in my prayer time at that time, my eyes are closed. I'm not understanding any of this. And all of a sudden, I get this vision, this vision of heaven. I, I, all of a sudden, I see thousands and millions of people. I see this, and I'm hearing all kinds of noise and all kinds of worship. And all of a sudden, as I'm walking this way, I'm right behind my son, he doesn't see me, he doesn't know that I'm here, but I'm right behind my son, and, and he's looking around like this, and I'm looking around like this too, seeing what is going on, and as, as I'm taking steps and following my son, all of a sudden I see Jesus, and he's sitting right over here. He's sitting down, 
Jesus is sitting here, and Jeremy is looking around, and all of a sudden he sees Jesus, and Jesus has his guitar, has this guitar in his hands. And I'm thinking, man, he's some groovy God because he can play the guitar too. But he's there, and my son, by the way, just so you know, my son was my worship leader for 23 years. He was my worship leader for 23 years. We had a lot of time invested in worship together. Jeremy was an excellent worship leader and musician. And all of a sudden, I see Jesus, and, and Jeremy comes up to Jesus, and Jesus stands up, and he's holding with one hand that guitar. And he said to my son, he says, here, take this. And now, and go play before your heavenly Father with the giftings that he has given you. And I just fell apart. You want to talk about love. You want to talk about something that would get a father and a mother through the darkest hours of their life with something like that. I saw, I, I saw it again just now when I was talking to you. That thing will be forever etched into my mind. There's another great story that I will share with you that you've never heard that is incredible as well. I'm going to ask our worship, our intercessors to please come forward to pray with us. We're going to close off with the song. We're running a couple of minutes late. Please forgive us. We don't normally do this. But we're going to sing our last and final song, The Reckless Love of God. Would you stand with me, please? If you're here today, if you're here today and you're having those kind of moments, you're a, you are a, uh, a, a God who, who is um, against us rather than for us. Um, if you're having those kind of thoughts, we, wanna, we want you to come down for prayer. You can come down with these guys and let them pray with you, or you can just come at the altar and you can just bury your face in the altar for just a few moments and asking God to help you through.